Revelation chapter 12, we see the woman and the dragon. We start to see the beginning of the mix of the end, all tied up in the history that goes along with it. It is just an amazing passage of scripture and how he brings it together. And Revelation 12, it speaks of the relationship of the first coming and the second coming of Christ. It recalls the relationship with the nation of Israel, and it points out the adversary who is Satan, devil, or Lucifer. He's got several names. He's also known as the great deceiver because his natural tongue is lies. And as we talked about that on Thursday with the youth in Genesis chapter 3, he starts off with just a little bit of a lie, right? And then he turns and uses the truth. 100% true, but he's already twisted it with the lie that he's done before, and so it gives it a little bit more credibility, and you have to be careful of the deceptions of this world, don't you? Uh, the world is very deceiving, and it's something that we need to have a foundation of where we're going and how we're getting there, and so that's why we study God's Word. God's Word is our foundation, and it gives us the truth that we can stand on so that we might be able to fight our adversary, Satan, the devil, and our sin nature that's in us that is battling against God's righteousness. So the pickle that we find ourselves in is God, or man is formed by God, they're deceived by Satan, and Satan leaves us here to die. That's, that's the creation story. That's it in a nutshell. And, and Satan does all this, just to get back at God, just to get a little bit of stick and be like, there, now they're going to go down with me. But God offers us hope. But meanwhile, man is caught in a trap. Where is our hope? Who is our there to Savior? This is the opening story of the Bible, isn't it? That is the problem that's been presented. It's the what we have to deal with and how are we going to get by. But God steps in with a promise, and we see a review once again of that promise in Revelation chapter 12. It's the promise, it's the fullness, because it comes in both parts. We see the first coming of Christ in this passage of Scripture, and we also see the second coming of Christ that's promised us. And this brings us to our main point, which you'll see on your notes there. It says, we must remember that our God was faithful in the past, and he will follow through in the future. We must trust and obey his process in developing our character. You can see Christ, when he comes the first time, he points to the previous promises. Remember what I did with Moses. Remember what I did with King David. Remember what I did with Zechariah, the other prophets, the other uh, kings of Israel and Judah. Remember what I did that for those. I'm about to do something just as wonderful with that. So John also reminds us of the, what he did wonderful the first time, and he is going to do it again in the second time. And we find that in Revelation chapter 12. Let's begin in verses 1 and 2. It says, Then I witnessed in the heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun 
and with the moon beneath her feet and the crowd of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out because her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. So our first point this morning is remember the path that we have walked. Remember the path that we have walked. Remember how God was faithful in those previous times and how he will continue to be faithful because he, that is his nature to be faithful. In verse 1, we find the correlation between Jesus Messiah and one of Joseph's dreams in Genesis chapter 37, verse 9. It says, soon Joseph had another dream and again he told that his brothers about it. So he's already had one dream. This is his second one. It says, listen, I've had another dream. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars, they bowed low before me. And of course, he said that humble, and his brothers were so happy for him that they didn't try to kill him. They didn't send him off as a, oh, wait. That's exactly opposite. I think Joseph was a little bit arrogant in this dream. Um, I don't think that's what we're seeing with Christ so much. Christ is coming to fulfill this dream and things. But we see ultimately that the Messiah is coming out of Israel. We know the Messiah came out of Israel because Jesus, when he said it, he did it and he fulfilled it, right? And we can look and we can study God's word and all the promises that come to encompass the Messiah, they're fulfilled in Jesus Christ. If you look at it, you can see the fulfillment of those promises coming and being fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and that is something. It is astronomical the, how hard it would be to do, and Jesus does it. Okay? So we see that this woman is pregnant, and cries out in agony, which can be correlated back to Genesis chapter 3 when God says that there'll be birth pains. Not only is there going to be birth pains in childbirth, but it looks to me as there's going to be birth pains in the salvation of the world. And so Israel's going to have a hard time trying to produce this Messiah because Satan knows if he can destroy Israel... He doesn't have to worry about the Messiah coming back. Guess what? If he can destroy Israel today, he doesn't have to worry about the second coming of the Messiah coming back either. Israel is a major player in the end times. It always has been, always will be, and that's how God designed it. So guess what? That's how it's going to be. And if you have a hard time with that, you're going to have to take it up with God Almighty, not me, because that's what God's word says. And even today, even in our own nation in New York City, I saw videos today, very anti-Semitic um, videos, which means anti-Jewish, anti-Israel videos. And it's very troubling. And I would say it's a mild case compared to the cases you see over in London and even in Israel today. They're launching rockets at Israel. And Israel is fighting back with retaliation, but all we hear about is, well, Israel's shooting rockets again. Uh, that's not quite how it worked out there, bud. Um, let's report the whole truth. You know, too bad the media can't go under that oath. 
Are, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth? So help me God? Because the news would look a little different than what it is today. Now, I'm not saying that both, neither sides really should be shooting rockets at each other, right? We should be able to work this out. But guess what? It is in the Bible that there's always going to be angst between these two people. The Palestinians, by the way, we call them Palestinians today. You know what we used to call them back in the Old Testament? Philistines. What? It's true. That they descended from the Philistines. Did we ever have good relationships? Did the Israelites ever have good relationships with the Philistines? No. Matter of fact, you know that Goliath was a Philistine. That's right. And so as you look at the history, this is something that's been going on for thousands of years. Am I going to be able to answer the question on how to save and fix this problem? The only answer I have for you is Jesus Christ, which both of those people groups, for the most part, have rejected. Okay? Now, am I saying that there are no Christians in Israel or in the Gaza Strip? No. I am not saying that because there are Christians there. If you go to Bethlehem particularly, you will find a lot of Christians in Bethlehem even today. They have discovered the answer. There is hope for Israel. But the hope is found in Jesus Christ when he reveals himself to us. So we also have the first coming and the second coming. This relates this cry out in agony, it released to Eve in the, ch- in, in the childbearing due to sin. And I feel even stronger that showing how Israel is the bride of Christ. This also points to Israel being the bride of Christ. The church is somewhat under this umbrella, but it's primarily first Israel. I will say that. I agree with that. I don't believe Israel's ever been displaced as the bride of Christ. I think that we've gotten to come along and join her in that, and maybe as a lesser role, because Israelites, Jewish people, will always be honored in God's sight before um, the Gentile. It's biblical. It's in there. Read Romans if you disagree with me. That's half the half the battle of Romans in there. Is the Jews and and the Gentiles were in conflict with one another. So why is this brought to our attention? Why is Israel brought up? It is there to first remind us that is not the first time that Satan has tried to eliminate the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter would know better than most to stay alert, to watch out for your your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And when Jesus came the first time, the Christmas story, what do we find? We find Herod trying to destroy the Messiah. If I can get rid of the babies, I can get rid of everything that goes along with it. Okay? So, what do we do then? What else do we have Peter would know this. Remember, you're not the only one who's undergone trials. We all undergo trials, right? And Jesus, he still believes in Peter, even though Peter 
denied Jesus, right? Jesus still restored Peter into his service. How much so? He said, you're going to be the head of the church. You're going to set the example for the rest of the believers. You better believe that's a big responsibility. You've seen me. You've seen what I've done. Now you're going to understand the heart of what I've done, and I'm going to ask you to follow me. And so Peter does it flawlessly from there on out, right? <laughs> no, no. Even Paul has to correct Peter after that. He says, dude, you're acting like a Gentile, which is fine, but then act like a Gentile. Don't go back and act like a Jew and a Gentile. Pick one or the other. You're saved. You don't have to worry about all the law. You don't have to worry about following the rules if your heart is in the right place. Okay? God is concerned about our hearts. He wants us to surrender our hearts to him to be Lord of our lives. And once we've done that, it will show up in the fruit of our labors, which is exactly what happened with Peter. Does that mean that we can't stray off and do our own thing every once in a while? No. Even Peter did that. Even Pastor House, me, even I do that. But God is faithful. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will never, neither fail you nor abandon you. We find that in Deuteronomy 31.6. Yes, we trust Jesus to fulfill his promise to his people just like he did in the past. Our God is faithful to deliver us from the trials of many kinds. So when we bring it home, when we bring the application to us today, how do we then live? How do we live? We have easy access to the word of God in this country. Do we read them? Do we read them? Pastor House, it seems like that's your application every Sunday. Well, guess what? Get used to it. It is so important. I can't, I can't explain the importance of the Word of God until you experience it for yourself. When you read it and you feel the Spirit moving in your heart and convicting you of change and allowing you to open your eyes to see something new for the first time when you've been studying it for 30 or 40 years. And you're like, wow, that's the first time that applied to me. That's the first time I've gone through trials. I used to think the Psalms, not, not I didn't really think this, but I waited. This is a better way to say it. I waited for the Psalms to apply to my life. Because if you look at Psalms and the application of Psalms, it's a man going through trials. And I haven't really experienced many trials in my life. Not that I'm like, Lord, please, please, Lord, give me some trials. I need to grow in my faith. No, I'm never like that. I, I, I enjoy my comfort. Uh, but when I grow, I grow the strongest. When I grow the deepest, it's in my trials. So if you're experiencing trials today, folks, read the Psalms. If you're concerned about what God is going to do for his people and what God's going to do for the nations, read the Psalms. Because as a man pouring out his heart to the Lord, it is a direct line that goes vertical between man and God. 
well, Pastor House, I'm not really ready to be there yet. I want to get my Bibles. I always encourage you first to read the Gospel, John. But if you can't get there yet and you want some wisdom, Proverbs is not a bad one, too. That's more man-to-man. It trickles in that man-to-God relationship. Okay, All those are good things, good application. Read your Bible. We need an example of how we should live like Jesus. How do we follow Jesus' example? We read our Bible. We read the Gospels. That is something that would be hard to read it on a daily basis. If you want to be like your teacher, you got to study your teacher, right? So where we're told to live like there's no tomorrow in the Bible, not YOLO, like you only live once, but it's kind of like that in a sense that we have one example to set for others and for Christ on how we're going to live. And that example of surrender in Christ, it translates to heaven, doesn't it? And Christ watches that, and when we get to the end, he's going to say, how have you done? My, are you been a good and faithful servant? Or do we need, we have some work here to do? Or depart from me, I never knew you. So we need to be ready to be judged by a holy God. Are you ready? Here's some practicalities, okay? We hit some general, nice application. Here's some very, very specific application because this is what my wife always gets me on. She's like, your application was an application. Yes, it was. Can I go home and, and read my Bible? Yes, but you can get more specific than that. Here, I'm getting very specific. And that, I love it when she does that to me because then I'm like, you're right. If we're serious about changing your mind, about changing your heart, and changing your lifestyles, here's a few simple steps that may help. Memorizing scripture is one that is great, okay? You always have the scripture with you. Pastor House, I can't memorize things to save my life. Now, my kids can't say that because I've just seen them memorize half the script for um, the, the musical down there. And not only did they, kn- I know that they had their parts down, but I know they had the peer person talking to them's part down because I saw them when that messed up a couple of times, they cued them to get them back on, on the script again. So they don't, they're really without excuse. Maybe they just need to be challenged and rewarded possibly for doing that. So that's something you can do with your kids. Pastor, I'm not good with this. Then what, you know what you need to do? You need to invest in some 3x5 cards. 3x5 cards fit right inside your wallet. You can slide them right inside there, and they hold. Or you can make a laminated copy, or you can get... There's a lot of things you can do with them, right? But you write down some verses that are meaningful to you. Uh, you can put it on your screensaver or your phone. Right now I have my, my baseball team on my phone, but I put scripture right there so when I look at it, it's right there. That's easy copy and paste from the Bible app, right? Anybody can do that. And you look at that. One, it's convicting. I haven't worked on this hard enough. Two, it's 
convicting because I don't want to memorize this because now it's applicable to my life and I don't want to change, but I need to. And three is something there um, that is a constant reminder of God's presence, which is a comfort eventually. I promise you, God will use it as a comfort to you. Another thing you can do with those 3 by 5 cards is write out a simple prayer. Carry it with you. Pin it up in the bathroom. Start a Bible reading plan on your phone. We're almost halfway through the year, right? There's a good New Testament Bible reading plan that you could start now and have it done by the end of the year. It's perfect. It goes through all the Gospels, um, Revelation, uh, the, the epistles, which is like the letters that are in there written by uh, several different people, mostly Paul, 13 of them written by Paul. Okay? Pastor House, so I, I need more. I need more. I know, that's what you're saying. I can see it in your faces out there. Um, read Romans 12. Put that application into practice. Romans 12 is almost 100% application. Uh, do this, don't do that. Do this, follow like this, don't do this. Um, Love like this. It's straight up practical application that it still applies to our lives today. Write those out and have those steps on your, in your head walking through. Sometimes when I go to get applications like this, I just turn to Romans chapter 12 and just start writing them out. You know, pretty much Romans uh, 12 through 16 has great application from the end there. Same with Ephesians 4 through 6. It's a, almost all application. Okay. They're written very sember, sember. It's a it's a word I created. Similar, but we must remember that our God was faithful in the past. He will follow through in the future. We must trust and obey His process in developing our character. Romans chapter twelve, three through six it says, and then I witness in heaven another significant event. Was it significant? Oh yeah. You better, you better believe it. I saw a red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth, and he stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod, and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God to his throne. And the woman fled in the wilderness where God was prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Remember God's plan for our lives. Remember God's plan for our lives. Okay, as I read through that passage of Scripture, I could count at least five different passages of Scripture where John is getting reference from. I'm not going to hit them all today, but I know there's some there. So the, the prince of this world, we see a picture of Satan in verses 3 and 4, a large red dragon. This is described in Ezekiel. Um, so like we'll go with 28 or 39. We talked about those a few weeks ago. Also, Isaiah 14 is another one that would go that we talked about a few weeks ago as well. And then um, it talks about Gog and Magog. That would be uh, the Ezekiel 39 
It talks about the, the dragon. And, and also there's a reference to the one-third of the stars falling out of the sky. So while stars in the Bible represent angels. Okay, so when one-third of the stars fell, Satan, not only did he turn away, turn away and turn his back on God, he pulled a third of the angels, God's servants, with him. Did they have a choice in the matter? Yeah, they have free will. They had one choice. Why did they only have one choice? Because they were in the presence of God. They had a choice. They could see God. They could touch God. They could know He was God. And they had a choice once. Are you going to follow God? Or are you going to follow the great deceiver? And a third of them chose to follow the great deceiver. Okay? So they had free will. They had it once. Once they did, they understand they need to surrender to God. Okay? They're a little bit different than people. So then we have the seven heads with ten horns and with seven crowns on his head. That's a reference that's in Daniel as well, but you've got to combine it a little bit to make it work, but it all works out to the same number of heads, horns, and crowns. And his tail swept away the third of the, the stars in the skies, and he threw them down to the earth. This is a picture of things that have happened in the past. Okay, This is something that's already happened. The red dragon, the Satan, the prince of this world, he will set up a false earthly kingdom. He will set up a false trinity. We see the first of, the, of three here introduced, the dragon. And then we have the beast. And we have the false prophet that will come here in the next few chapters, okay? So we have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. We have the Father, Son, Holy Spirit kind of thing, right? We have the same thing. He's trying to mimic God, though trying to deceive even some of the elect, if that were possible. That's what, it said. That's what Jesus says, okay, in Matthew 24. With the seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns on his head, the that is seven empires that have been established. False salvation through the worldly kingdom or government. That's one of the dangers of truly trusting the government because God's word says we're not going to find salvation in a government until Jesus comes back. That's, I guess I will probably always be small government kind of guy because God's word is brings up a lot of red flags about the governments, okay? Why? Because when we get comfortable, we want somebody else to do the work for us. We want somebody else to provide for our needs instead of working hard to earn our own wages. That's biblical, folks. God tells us to work hard to earn our own wages. And that's not what we're seeing lately. We're, we're pretty comfortable with receiving our uncle's help, if you know what I mean. So, caution about that. The ten horns equal ten kings. I think we will see the world government work under uh, a possible ten heads that come along under it. I don't know that for sure under the seven empires. And we have seven crowns. That means the dragon will rule over them all. We may even have that today already, behind the scenes. 
I think there's more than just one person pulling the strings, if you know what I mean. Across the, the government, you see them dividing. You see the media participating in that. They, they raise good questions on both sides, but they make sure that they are opposite of each other and that they clash and clash and clash. And that's false, isn't it? And that's wrong. That's why we need to listen to our neighbor, love our neighbor, serve our neighbor, and do what we can in this community to show our neighbor the love of Jesus. And it's happening. It is happening more than it ever has in the history of White Rose. It's happening right now. And that is a blessing because it shows that we are walking together in the service of the Lord. Does that mean we never get arrogant in that? No, we're pretty good at it. Usually when you're on the upswing, it's easy to go, well, look at me, right? Who did that the best? King Saul. King Saul does that. He is a very humble guy to start off. He is very scared guy. And that's what ultimately gets him. His fear is the downfall of Saul. Okay? We get a little bit of overconfidence in David, but we get a lot of overconfidence in his son Samuel, not Samuel, sorry, that's a prophet. Solomon. Just seeing if you're paying attention, because I obviously wasn't. <laughs> oh boy. Solomon, yes. Solomon gets very arrogant and he tries a bunch of things. Where does he get arrogant in? He gets arrogant in his wisdom. Well, what was the downfall of Eve? What did she desire? She desired the wisdom that satan presented i want to be like god that's what happened to satan too obviously he wanted to be worshiped like god was and then of course we have the third of the stars falling this is a reference to the angels that turn out to be demons now and they choose to follow satan instead of god some of them cast were cast right into the pit of hell some of them most of them were cast to the earth now we see a, a, a woman giving birth, a picture of the bride of Christ, which is Israel. Her child is the Messiah, which is, we know is Jesus. And as Jesus is born onto this earth, Satan tries to swallow him up by destroying all the kids of the region, like zero to three months, takes out a whole, almost a whole generation of young men just so King Herod won't have to worry about anything. But God protects Jesus, just like he protected them back with Moses and the, the reed. Some huge references there. We see it again here. Saves him. And verse 6 is the transition where Jesus comes back the second time. And it also kind of transitioned back to the, the first coming, as I read and studied this even more. But... You see this transition happening there. The 1,260 days re refers to the three and a half years in the tribulation. This is the second half of the final set of 70 that we talked about last week in the book of Daniel. Okay, This is a time where they're going to be pulled out for three and a half years and then... Um, 
and cause, cause to be safe, and then God's going to come in his final judgment. This can be frustrating to people who follow the Lord and see Satan winning in a lie. I know it is frustrating for me. When I see this, Satan is winning in this lie, that this deception, and he's pulling all these angels, he's pulling all these kingdoms, he's pulling all these people to believe in him. God, where are you? When are you going to bring your salvation? When are you going to come back? When are you going to show your authority that it's the ultimate authority? When the time of the Gentiles is over, so keep after it, keep salvation, keep saying, talking about salvation to your brothers and sisters in your neighborhood because the number hasn't been fulfilled. When the number is fulfilled, that's when the end times will begin. That's one of the things. That's one of the clues. Well, when is that? I don't know. So I keep witnessing. I keep spreading the gospel. I keep sharing, right? So what do coaches tell their players who are frustrated when they're not seeing results? Stay true to the process, right? Trust the process. Trust the process. Trust the grind. Why are we doing suicides, coach? Why are we, I'm out of breath, I can't go anymore. Trust the process. Five minutes left in the fourth quarter, the kids still got energy and the other team doesn't, and they are able to make up that 10-point deficit because they can trust the process and they can put the press on, right? Trust the process. Don't give up now. Keep going. Why are we doing burpees, coach? Because when you can out-jump the other person at the net, in volleyball, it's because they didn't do their burpees, right? Trust the process. We must remember that our God is faithful in the past and he will follow through in the future. We must trust and obey his process in developing our character. It doesn't seem like reading the Bible is doing much for me, Pastor. I read the same thing and I don't understand it. Trust the process. Trust the process right? Ask God to reveal it to you. Submit to his authority. Lord, I can't understand the passage I just read. Help me out. Trust the process. I still can't understand it. I'm calling Pastor Shane. That's what I'm here for. I'm calling one of the elders. Trust the process. Sometimes I'll say, I don't know that one either. I'm going to have to go trust the process and I have to do deeper. That's right. That's because we work together, right? As we rub together and say, what do you think about this? Well, I think this, and I think this, and we might not agree. But as we work the process together, when it comes out, we have a final product that is deeper into God's word, deeper into the concentration of his Holy Spirit and the scriptures on our heart. And we can have her with one another, and we see it work out into something beautiful. It's like a worn-out leather glove in the, in the, when you're gardening with, right? It's worn out because it's used, right? That's how our faith needs to look. It needs to be worn in. Oh, yeah, that's a, a worn-in Christian there. You can see his patience just glowing right out of that person. Have you ever seen that person before? I have. I mean, like, I can tell that person a Christian right now because just 
how they react to that situation that they were just thrown into. Let's continue on. Revelation chapter 12, 7 through 12. It says, Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. And then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heaven, It has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ, for the accuser of his brother and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they will they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. That's why we sang that song this morning. And they will not and they did not love their lives so much that they were not afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who love who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. Folks, the battle belongs to the Lord, doesn't it? If we don't have, if God is not on our side, we've already lost. But if God is on our side, who can be against us? Look here, Satan is working out of defeat. He, he knows he's lost. God knows he's lost. He's already lost the war. In the grand scheme of things, it is over. When Jesus died and rose again, Satan lost. What's he still doing here? So what's he still doing here? He's here to see if he can drag anybody down with him, right? So don't let him win the little battles. The battles of the mind, the battles of the heart. Change your lifestyle to reflect Christ and know that Christ will honor that in the last days. So where does our salvation come from? It comes from Christ Jesus, ultimately God, right? God allows Jesus to be our Savior. Jesus fulfills that role. God gives him the authority to do so. Jesus gives it back to God. God gives it back to Jesus to rule for the end times because he's worthy, in a sense, saying that God and Jesus are one. They're the same person. Okay? That's important to know that relationship. So I ask you, do we live a life like it comes out of victory? Or do we live like we're defeated? I can't get past this problem, Pastor. I've tried so many times. You're not living out of victory. You're living out of defeat. Well, how do you know that? Because I've done it several times. I can't do this. I can't do it. I can't get past this problem. It comes and defeats me every single time. And God goes, good. Now we've got something to work with. Now that you don't realize that you can't do it, maybe you'll actually turn to me and give it over 100%, and we'll see what we can do. Matter of fact, you'll see what I can do, and I'll get it done. 
whoa, that was a conversation. Let me tell you, that day, that was a surrendering the heart. Heaven declares Christ the winner. The, the accuser has lost. Who is the accuser? Yeah. Where does he stand? He stands in heaven on the throne. You look at Zechariah chapter 3. He's standing next to the throne, yelling at God. Pastor House doesn't deserve to be here. Pastor House doesn't deserve. He does this. He does this and does this. And guaranteed, let me tell you, I got plenty to, to go on the list, right? Amen. You didn't have to laugh that hard. Sheesh. But we all do. We're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. But who do we have on the other side? Christ Jesus is saying, no. I paid the price for that. Yes, Shane has done all these things. Yes, Shane's heart can be very wicked. But my grace is sufficient. It's like an ocean, right? And all we got to do is reach out there and grab for that grace. And he will pull it in. Does it mean that we get to sin all the more? No. No. It means we get to come above the sin because we live in victory. Victory in Jesus, my Savior, for today, forever. It's a principle that goes into words. It's amazing. It's a great song. We'll have to sing it maybe next week, right? That's one of those three, four songs, so I'll, I'll do my best. Those are hard for me. So, too many times, too many times do we fall prey to the accuser. And I ask you this way, is your faith developing out of place of victory? Too many times we go to church, we live our lives, we go to work, we raise our family under our own strength. And we walk away defeated, empty, and tired. I can't do it. I can't, I, I can't live life this way anymore. And God's like, I know, I know, you can't. This is great. What, you're saying God's rejoicing because we are being defeated? Well, maybe a little bit. Because he knows under his strength, under his power, we will never be defeated. We will always have the peace that passes understanding. We will always be able to rejoice with our God and Savior through those sufferings, through those trials. And, th and we know in the outcome that Christ wins. We have a partner in our daily load that we bear. He is grabbing our yoke and he's holding us up sometimes and walking alongside us. We have a hope for the healing. We know our final day destination is with God who loves us. Why would we surrender to God? Because he loves us. Is there any other reason? God is love. Amen? So if we want to get to the end of our life, and we're going to spend eternity with 
a God who is all our life told us, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Don't we have, don't we do this? Because when we get on the other side, he's going to reveal why. He's going to say, I, I even see it today. If I avoid sexual temptation, if I avoid telling lies, if I avoid being a thief, I see how it goes well with me. I see my integrity building up across that path. And as it builds up, I don't really need to do any of those things anymore, right? I've, I've kind of come above that. I already see the reward happening in my life now. How much greater is it going to be in heaven? You remember that time when you were about ready to go here? I was so proud of you, Shane, when you didn't do that. I hope we get to say that more often than, than not as we continue to walk with him. We have a partner in our daily load that we bear. So how, how do we fight these battles? I'm fighting my battles on my knees, folks. I encourage you to do the same. We pray for one another. We lift each other up. In the end, we, we ask the Lord to help us as well. Try to keep yourself in the right place and do it at the end. It's not always easy to do. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, help me! And sometimes we need to do that, right? We fight on our knees. We allow our commander to take the lead, and we trust the process, and we walk in faith, not by sight. So how do we declare our allegiance to our King and Savior? How many people know? How do people know that we're Christians? Yeah. Yeah, that's one way. Many will say this. They'll say by our love or by our actions, right? Don't worry, I stepped on my toes hard this week with this one. Wrestled with this one even last night. And I think that's good. I do think we show God's love through our love, through our actions, 100% so. But if you ever look at the Old Testament prophets, you ever look at, like, Joseph, when he interprets a dream, he doesn't interpret the dream and then say, oh, yeah, by the way, God did that. He says, God told me this. I didn't do any of this. Here's the dream. Daniel does the same thing. You see this with King David. I'm not going to smote you under my own power, Goliath. God's going to smote you because guess what? Been smited. You've been smited. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Uh, because you defiled the Holy One of Israel, God Almighty. That's how he defeated Goliath. That's how we defeat Goliath in our lives. So, if I push back just a little bit on this, one of the, some of the things I see, I see a lot of good selfless acts being the, done in the name, generally around here in the name of St. Jude, right? We see a lot of people per, participating in this name of St. Jude 
and things, and that they're helping out children and stuff, and it's a great cause. They, they're a great person to donate money to, and it's, it's really good. But after the fact, if they've run in the St. Jude race and things, don't they continue to wear their T-shirts? Don't they continue to tell people how excited they were to support that organization and how amazing it was to be a part of that day? Do we do that as Christians? Sometimes we don't even wear the T-shirt. You know what I mean? I'd rather not let people know that I'm a Christian because I'm convicted that I might have to actually act like one. Right? So am I, CJ. That's why I wear... I'm pretty vocal about it, too. So, faith is obviously more important than a t-shirt, right? But a t-shirt is a start. It's practical application. You want to live your life like Jesus? Say, put it on your t-shirt. I'm doing this because Jesus told me to. And then walk out the door. It's a reminder to you what you're doing it for, and it's a reminder to everybody else why you're doing it. It's translating in this community, folks. I'm telling you, the donations that we are pouring into the school through the music, through the... Um, we gave tables and things to the teachers down there. We've done several things. The playground down there investing in the school, in our time, in our talent, in our treasure, people notice. Trust me. But it's not because we didn't, we're just like, all right, um, well, why did you do this? Well, we did it because Christ compels us to do it, right? And then we back it up by our actions. A lifestyle with a good message is a powerful tool for the Lord. A lifestyle with a good message is a powerful tool for the Lord. Here's another way to declare your allegiance to the Lord. Do any of you have pictures on your refrigerator? We have several pictures on our refrigerator. Well, this could be your prayer wall. This can be a place where you go and you use this as your prayer wall, right? You stick a Bible verse in the center of all those pictures that applies to something that you can do in and pray for. Or the Disciple Maker's Prayer. I got some 3 by 5 cards right here. You could stick one of those on your refrigerator, put your, put your pictures in there, and maybe put uh, some yarn from the card to the picture. I'm praying for this one specifically. I told you I would be challenging you with this, with the youth. We've been praying the Disciples Maker's Prayer to a bunch of kids that barely know their Bible. Uh, they wanted to know one, they wanted to know where it was in the Bible. I said it's not in the Bible. If you look at the cross top of the card, there's several references that they took and created this well, where is that? Can I look those up? Yeah, here, I have a card in my pocket. I want one! Four kids. As soon as that girl said it, 
four more wanted cards. I had three cards. <laughs> I, I emptied my wallet. I gave them all away. Right? I gave to the oldest ones, hoping the, the youngest ones will be there. I put more in my, in my wallet here again so I can hand them out again. Right? I said, I guess we're going to have to do a Bible study on where this comes from. And it's a, it's a fun Bible study. I was excited to hear that. Does that excite you? To hear how much those kids want to know about Jesus and do they want to make disciples who make disciples? That's the process. We got to trust the process. If you don't see one generation of Christians, A, making a generation B to make a generation C, if you don't see three generations of Christians in your life, you are not making a disciples of Jesus Christ. I can guarantee you that. You're making disciples of yourself. And that's a hard truth to hear. Because if it stop, the buck stops with you, you just made yourself. Because God will not honor that. He will only honor when his true word is taught. And he will honor that to three, four generations. We'll see this on, he says in the sower of the seeds, to 50, 80, to 100 times um, the harvest, right? Let me finish up. I'm trying to go. I'm going long. I only got one more point left. But we got to remember, it's simple but effective, right? Simple but effective. We must remember that our God was faithful in the past. He will follow up through the future, and we must trust and obey his process in developing our character Finally, let's read the last part of Revelation chapter 12. And I apologize for the length this morning, but I just, I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit. It had to be said today. When the dragon realized he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had been given birth to the male child, but she was given two wings like those of the great eagle so she could fly away into the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected for the dragon for a time times and a half a time, which equals three and a half years. And then the dragon tried to drown the woman with the flood of water that, that flooded from his mouth, but the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out of the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children and all who kept God's commands and maintaining their testimony for Jesus Christ. And the dragon took his stand on the shore beside the sea. So check that out. The end of 17, it says, All who kept God's commands and maintained their testimony for Jesus, that's us. Okay? The woman that declared a war against the rest of her children, the rest of her children is Israel. And those who kept God's commands, that's everybody else. Remember the hope we have with Christ for our future. If we only knew, if we only knew who the woman was in this story. Well, we've discovered today that the woman is Israel. Well, if we only knew, we'd pay special attention to her, right? Well, you better. Israel is in the news right now, all the time. Pay attention. You know, if we only knew, we'd help keep harm and evil away from her. Well, there's opportunities to do that as well. The woman in the story is Israel. God is still watching over his people. He's still protecting them from Satan. 
Satan knows if he destroys Israel physically or spiritually, he will delay Christ in the, excuse me, in the second coming. Israel has already, or Satan has already been defeated. He challenged God and Satan lost. He is doomed to be defeated. He wants to take as many of the people of this world as he can. He is a liar by nature. Deceit is his game, and he plays it well. What can we do to prepare for the trials of this world? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, all scripture, all scripture is God-inspired by God and is useful for teaching us what is true to make us realize what is wrong with our lives and it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right god uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work that's why white rose will always be focused on god's word every sunday every sunday we will read the scripture and if we don't that better come with a warning the only one I can think of is possibly, maybe, a VBS story. But we're even going to talk about Jesus that day. And we're going to talk about how he saved the world. So it better be every Sunday. God's word is that important. Know and study God's word. Because it says in John eight thirty two, Then we shall know the truth, and the truth shall set us free. And when we hang on to the truth, we hang on to the word that has been given to us, we hang on to it because in Hebrews 2, 1, it says, we must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard that we might not drift away from it. Folks, the church today in America has drifted away from the truth of God's word. And we will not do that at White Rose Fellowship Church. We will stand strong on the foundation that he has given us and taken it for literal value of what he has given us. Now, sometimes there's figurative speak in there like we see in Revelation. This means this, this means that. That's not what I mean. I mean, when God says something's wrong, it's wrong. And when he says to do something that is right, we do that. We strive for holiness. We walk away from the, the evil things and we look, we turn our eyes to the Lord, to his word, and to the, the fruit of the spirit that's on the vine. Why? Why is it important to write verses on refrigerators? Or why is it important that we pray to Jesus? Because God doesn't just want you to make it to heaven. He wants all to be saved. He wants your neighbor to make it to heaven. He wants your enemy to make it to heaven. He wants all to make it to heaven. And that's hard to hear, isn't it? He wants our enemies to make it to heaven. What? Because when Christ starts molding their hearts, they won't be enemies for long, folks. He wants all to be saved. He's designed the church to be his hands and feet. He re we represent Jesus, whether we like it or not, whether we wear the t-shirt or not, 
We are always representing Jesus. We're always representing our family. We're always representing our church, our community, our country. Let's do it well. He has done his part. He has been faithful. What are you willing to do? What am I willing to do? We must remember that our God was faithful in the past. He will follow through in the future. We must trust and obey his process in developing our character. Are you willing to trust the process? It starts with God's word. Two weeks ago, no, it was last Sunday. Last Sunday, we got done um, with youth group. We, we tricked Beth into paying her compliments. And while we're paying her compliments, we, we shifted the gears a little bit. A lot of the kids that come on Sunday nights, they don't necessarily come on Thursday nights because Sunday tends to be more fun and, and Thursday becomes more learning about Jesus and getting more practical knowledge of the Bible. But one thing that we believe here at White Rose is God's Word, and so those eighth graders that came um, and been there for a while, we ran upstairs and we gave each one of those eighth graders a Bible, right? It said, how many eighth graders here do we have tonight? We had three of them. We had at least six that we've given Bibles to, but three of them that, that they haven't been there it's the first time they've ever been there. We gave them a Bible, and we told them how to uh, start reading in the book of John. Folks, something's happening in this youth group. Something's happening in this community. I want you to be a part of it, and I want to be a part of it as well. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony, his testimony comes through our lives. It comes from the words of our mouths. And if we're not vocal about it, God will either rise somebody else up or we've lost already. Let's not lose. I hate to lose. I hate it. God's made me way too competitive to lose that like that. I will not do it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your testimony. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that you have given us through your son, Jesus Christ, and that you, we work out of a place of victory and that you, there's nothing that's going to stop you unless we stay silent. Lord Jesus, I pray that we'd be bold, that we'd be strong and courageous and not be afraid, that we would be a a blessing to this community and to those around us. Guide and direct us closer to you, Lord. Lead us and protect us as we go. Open up our eyes to see the wonderful truth that you have for us in your word. Allow us to read it, to memorize it, to understand it. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go with the power of the Lord. You're dismissed.